Hello, and welcome to the podcast on Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. We're going to continue today in our Advent series that, um, if you remember two weeks ago, Christian started us off with, um, with hope. And Michael, last week, spoke of um, joy. And today, I get to speak to you about love. And you know, I was thinking, everybody likes hope, because the Bible says hope doesn't disappoint us, right? But, you know, a lot of people have been disappointed by love. Been times people had different expectations of love and it didn't go the way they planned. And joy, you know, Michael, if I if I could summarize what I think I could take away from what he said about joy was if you connect your joy to your circumstances and to things, when the circumstances and things change, your joy goes. But if you connect your joy to God, your joy is stable, right? So so that's good. Everybody likes joy, but you know. I'm having a hard time when I started looking into this, studying, thinking, how do you even define love? You know, I love God. We could all say, I love God. I love my family. I love my church. I love my dog. I love ice cream. I love my car. The word means a lot of different things and a lot of different applications today. So, in, in my struggle to to um, define and get my mind around love in a way that I could communicate it in a meaningful way. What I did was I, I went on Google and I made a search. And I did this on purpose because I knew exactly what I would come up with. I searched for um, focus on the family, how to love my wife. Because I knew what would come up. And sure enough, the first article comes up and it's this woman, she wrote this whole story about how she met her husband. It was just a match made in heaven. It was wonderful. Uh, they both knew they were led of God into their marriage. And at this, the point of writing this, she was about ready. They were about ready to renew their vows and stuff. So she's writing this wonderful story about their love story. And then in the very end of the introductory section comes this, and this is what I was looking for. I love him fiercely as he does me, deeply, completely. But love is not just a feeling. And a strong marriage isn't built only on emotions. Sustaining love is a choice, one that must be made every single day, even if it's spoken through gritted teeth in tough times. And it's God's grace that makes that choice possible. <laughs> At any time between I do and I don't anymore, the choices we make either deepen the relationship or deplete it, potentially damaging it beyond repair. A decision to make purposeful choices is a key to successful marriage. Is that how you like to be loved? <laughs> through gritted teeth? You know, when my wife, through her gritted teeth, tells me she loves me because somehow she's found it in the goodness of her superior moral being to love me even though I'm unlovable. 
I don't feel very loved. See, I think God's love is better than that. I think God can do better. I think he does better. And then the next thing I came across, anybody here like J. Vernon McGee? Through the Bible, through the radio program? I know it's a long time ago that it was on the air, but I listened to reruns. They still, I think they still play them on the Bible Broadcasting Network. He would go through the Bible every year on the radio. J. Vernon McGee. And I found a sermon by him on YouTube on love. It was on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. And he started off, he started saying, you cannot understand love by dissecting it and giving definitions any more than you could uh, appreciate the beauty of a rose by taking it apart and analyzing the pieces. And then he proceeded to start taking it apart and analyzing the pieces. Within three minutes of saying that, he starts bringing out the Bible definitions of the words. And you know them. I'm sure you've heard them. Agape and phileo. Those are the two primary words used for love in the Bible. What he said was um, phileo means affection. And agape, he said, was love on a higher plane. Not in the emotion, but in the will. Love from the will. So with all of our focus on the family counseling and all of our theology analyzing the words, I still don't know if God has any feelings toward me. Does he actually like me? Does he want to be around me? I think sometimes according to the definitions, phileo being the lower kind of love, affection, and agape being the higher love in the will, sometimes I just want to be phileo. But consider this conversation. Peter, do you agape on me? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you agape me? No. <coughs> Peter, do you phileo me? Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. Peter was hurt because he asked him this third time. Feed my sheep, he said. There's something about agape love that we're not catching in the definitions. We're not catching it when we break it apart like we break apart a rose. There is something so beautiful in the love of God. And I think sometimes we try to impose how we try to do things on God. We try to love by a principle. It's, love is not a feeling. It's an act of my will. But the Bible has this phrase, and this is what I want to speak about for a few minutes today. In the English translations, most of the time it comes out across as this, felt compassion, have compassion, or moved with compassion. Behind it is actually a Greek word or a Greek phrase that means to have the bowels yearn. I know that's a really old language, and there's probably a lot of jokes today that can go with that. But to have the bowels move, there's something inside that moves you to action, that moves you to affection. And in the English, like I said, it comes across as he had compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. It's the same word when the prodigal saw, the, the father of the prodigal son saw his son returning home. And he ran out to meet him. See, love on purpose as an act of the will of you. Oh, there comes my son. I'm going to love him when he gets here. But no, something inside him moved him to run out there. And before the son could even repent, he wrapped his arms around him. He hugged him. He gave him a coat because he was moved with 
compassion. That's the kind of love. I don't think I can define it for you with a definition. But if we can look at the scriptures and see how Jesus expressed this kind of love, I think we can maybe, maybe get an idea. And what my prayer is today, as we go through a few of these scriptures, I want you and I want me to experience this love right from him. Right from him. So let the word of God minister to you. He was moved with compassion. His insights yearn for you. He wants to run out to meet you, to grab you, to rescue you, to reinstate you and bring you into his family. That is the love of God for us. There's a verse, I found one verse in the King James Bible. It's 1 John 3.17, if you put that up on the screen, where the words in the Greek actually kind of come through into the English. Okay, I want to read it to you, and, and you can see what I'm saying. Excuse me. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now, some of you guys I know are perfectly fine with King James, been reading it all your life, but others you think I'm doing my Master Yoda impression. Oh, shutteth up his bowels? <laughs> how dwelleth the love of God in him? Sorry, it's Yoda as good as I can do. But what he's saying is, if you see somebody and you have the means to help, and you see them and they uh, have need, and you're able to hold that in and shut up your mouth, not show compassion to them, then how does the love of God in you? That's what it says. That's the word that's behind this. That it's a motivating force. It moves you to act. So as we look at this, I want to start with the story of a leper coming to Jesus you guys remember it. It's Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 40. A leper came to him, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Okay, question. Did the leper question his ability? He says, If you are willing, you can. So he believed somehow that Jesus would have the ability to help him, right? What was he questioning? His willingness. He didn't know Jesus was willing to do it. And so the next verse demonstrates Jesus' willingness. And here's our phrase. Listen for it. And moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. Now, I love those websites like the uh, Bible Hub and Bible Gateway because you can type in a verse and you can see a dozen different uh, translations, right, of the verse. So I went ahead and just printed out a few because each one kind of brings a little different aspect to this. Okay, the ESV says, moved with pity. See, he was moved. Love for God is a motivating force. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. The CEV says, Jesus felt sorry for the man. So he put his hand on him and said, I want to, now you are well. I like that. I want to, now you are well. This is like that attitude. This is so simple for Jesus. I want to, now you are well. Yeah. No effort. But the thing is, the I want to right there, that is an interesting phrase to me because, see, the other ones say I will, but here he says, I want to. Now I'm sure in the Greek, I will is a very strong word, but in English, I will can, can have two meanings. It can come across like, I, I want to, but it also can mean, I will comply. Like, you will eat your food. You will clean your room. 
And if you're not a kid, it's like, you will pay your taxes. You will, you will comply, but it's not from a willing heart because you want to. This one brings out that Jesus says, I want to. I want to help you. Do you see how his love is connected to his want to, to his willingness to help? The Good News Translation, Jesus was filled with pity and reached out and touched him. I do want to, he answered. Be clean. Here's another one. The International Standard Version, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand, touched him. I do want to be made clean. God's word translation. Jesus felt sorry for him. So the compassion, there's an aspect of it that feels sorry, that identifies with how you feel, right? Identifies right where you are at right now. But thank God it's not just limited to feeling sorry. Because I can feel sorry for you, but not have the ability or the power or the will to help you. Jesus felt sorry. And in his feeling sorry for the man, which one was I on? Jesus felt sorry for him, reached out, touched him, and said, I am willing, so be clean. I am willing. That's not, I am willing, so be clean. If he's willing, you can have whatever he has that he's provided for you because he's willing. The yes is from him. Weymouth, being moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I want to be made clean. The Message Bible says he was deeply moved. Deeply moved. See, just another way of trying to describe this love that God has for us. Deeply moved. Jesus put out his hand and touched him and said, I want to be clean. This is maybe my favorite, the Phillips translation. Jesus was filled with pity for him and stretched out his hand and placed it on the leper, saying, of course I want to. Of course I want to. And you can see it the way he says it here that he stretched out his hand. You don't touch lepers. You know that, right? You do not touch lepers. It's not only something that you don't do because I'm afraid I might get something. You don't do it because it's illegal to. Because God knew something about contagious diseases and he said you don't touch lepers. Lepers aren't allowed in the, in the common populace. So Jesus coming out there, the motivating force, as he's saying it, he's demonstrating his love. Of course I want to be clean. And the very last one that I have here is the NIV. Listen to this. It says, Jesus was indignant. Isn't that interesting? I wondered, you know, Jesus moved with compassion, felt pity. All of a sudden, the NIV pops up. Jesus was indignant. It's almost offended by the question. So when the question of his willingness hit Jesus' love, Jesus was like, what? Of course I want to. It says, Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. Do you see how his compassion is connected with his willingness to help you? Whatever you might be going through, he can do it. Don't cook, don't doubt his ability and don't doubt his willingness. Because he is willing and he's able to help you right where you are. We can see this. Thing. I've, I've got a few more, but before I do, I want to bring out this aspect because this is important. This is one of the key things that I've always looked at when I see Jesus in the Bible. And it's this. It's the simple fact that Jesus reveals the Father perfectly. See, when you go back and you read the Old Testament and you look at the law and you look at the prophets, they could all bring an aspect. They were looking kind of like through a glass and they're trying to explain what they're seeing in the spirit, but they could not represent Jesus fully. Even the priests in the temple worship just show us a little sliver of it. 
the kings and the stories of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, you see this little aspect of what the Father is like. But you don't see it fully and completely until you see Jesus. John 14, 8 and 9. If you'll put that up, I want to read this. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, Philip, and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So I want you to get this in your mind as we read these. When you see Jesus reaching out and showing compassion, that is God reaching out and showing compassion. When you see Jesus moved on the inside, moved to help somebody, that's because God is moved to help somebody. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, so God was speaking in the prophets and through the fathers. He spoke in many portions and in many ways. In these last days has spoken to us in his son. So God is speaking to us now through Jesus, through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus shows us what the Father is like. So when Jesus is moved with compassion, who's moved with compassion? God is moved with compassion. So go with me to Matthew uh, chapter 9, starting at verse 35. And it says, As Jesus was going about in all the cities and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, and seeing the multitudes, he, say it with me, he felt compassion. You guys didn't do very good, so I'm say it again. Huh? I'm, I'm afraid you might be fine. Are you soaking it in or are you falling asleep? I'm going to read it again. Ready? And seeing the multitudes, he, here's your cue, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. He felt compassion. That's why he went around healing. That's why he went around teaching and helping them and shepherding with the people, loving the people, because Israel's leaders had basically failed them. And Jesus said, I can't leave them like this. I've got to help them. Moved with compassion because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. A few chapters later, Matthew 14, 13, Matthew 14, starting at verse 13. Now when Jesus heard about John's death, okay, Jesus was very close to John. It affected him. He wanted to get away. He wanted to go by himself to a lonely place and pray. When he heard about it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. And when the multitudes heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. If you remember it, they ran around the lake to where he was going, and they were there before the boat got there. And when he went ashore... And you know Jesus, distressed as he was, having lost John, wanting to have time alone to pray or whatever he was going to do, be refreshed, there's the multitude right there waiting for him. And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude. And here's our word, say it with me. And he felt a compassion for them, and he healed their sick. See, if he could have compassion for a great multitude like that, how do you think he feels about you? Can you put yourself with your needs and the things you need in your life and the things you want from God, can you put yourself in that multitude? 
Can you see yourself in that multitude before Jesus? And here is his love and compassion that's just flowing out of him, that's helping everybody. Can you see him willing to meet your need right there in the middle of that multitude? That's his love. That's his compassion. Compassion moved Jesus to heal the multitudes. How about physical needs? The next chapter, you see him feeding the multitude. And why does it say that? Matthew 15, verse 32. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the multitude. They have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I don't wish to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. He felt compassion. Now you can, you can go for a few days without food. There must have been water out there somewhere. They can't go for that long without water. But he didn't have to do it. But he says, oh, look, these guys have been following me. They've been clinging to my words. They've been listening to me. I feel compassion for them. I don't want them to go away hungry. I care about their physical needs. It's just like the Good Samaritan. You remember what happened with the Good Samaritan? Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan because he wanted to illustrate how we should be a good neighbor, right? So he says this. Listen, Luke 10, 33. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, felt compassion. The Samaritan felt compassion. What did that motivate the Samaritan to do? Do you remember? First thing, he admitted, probably went down there just to see if he was breathing or if he was a dead guy on the side of the road. He went down there, he administered first aid. He picks up the man, he puts him on his own animal and takes him to the town. Okay, The Samaritan is walking while somebody else is riding his animal. He goes to the inn, he takes care of him there, he pays the innkeeper for the room, and then he tells the innkeeper, when I come back, I'll pay you for any extra expenses, just take care of him. Do you see how compassion motivated the Samaritan? And that's our example. That's how we're supposed to love. How much more do you think God loves us? He demonstrates compassion completely and fully. How much more will he help us? If he cared for their physical needs out there when they were in the wilderness with no food, if he cared for the man wounded on the side of the road, how much does he care for whatever we're going through today? Amen? Amen. Compassion moves God to care for our moves God to care for our needs. Compassion moves God to forgive us. Do you remember when Peter said to Jesus, uh, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? And I wonder sometimes if this is a really big number for Peter. He goes, mm, seven times? And <laughs> Jesus says, no, not seven times, but what? You know it, 70 times seven. Then he went on to tell them this story. And, uh, it was the story about the king who wanted to settle accounts. And it starts in Matthew 18. I want to pick it up in verse 24. Matthew 18, verse 24. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, okay, pay attention to that. He didn't have the ability to repay. His Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Let me ask you, was he going to get paid anything? He did not have the means to repay. But he's begging. He said, I'll pay you, I'll pay you. He had no means to pay. But when the Lord of the slave felt compassion on him, and he released him and forgave him his debt. See, I don't have any way to repay what I... 
what I owe God, right? Nobody has a way to pay the debt we owe, but Jesus looked at us, God looked at us, and he felt compassion. It motivated him to forgive us our sins, and it motivated us to make us right with him. And if you know the story, that's also the example of how we are supposed to forgive one another, to extend that same compassion that God extended to us. A couple more real quick here. Matthew 20, 34. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and they regained their sight and followed him. Luke 7, 13 and 14. Okay, this one, I'll give you a little, uh, a little context here. This is when he raised the widow's son in, in a town called Nain, right? Okay, he happens to come into town, I guess, and there's a funeral going on. And Jesus sees it, and he walks up there, and he says, When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt and said, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Okay? Who did he feel compassion for? He felt compassion for the widow. He didn't even feel compassion for the son, but who got the miracle? See, when you are walking in the love of God and, and, and you receive his compassion, it splashes on to everybody around you. He showed compassion for that widow because, you know, losing your son, she, was, she wouldn't have had any support. So the, his compassion for her caused, oh, I'll just go ahead and raise up the son then. <laughs> That's pretty cool. He wants to help. He wants to help. He wants to show that compassion to you. Now I'm going to go ahead and get all Christmassy here because we're going to read our Isaiah promise. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Because I want to say this, everything that Jesus did was a gift of God's compassion. Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The Christmas miracle, the son that is given, is an act of compassion. I know that because John three sixteen says it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you know, I think sometimes if you've been around the church world for a long time, you've probably come across this idea that they won't say it like this, but it, you get the impression that God so hated the world that he killed his son to appease his sense of justice. See, God is just. But when we overemphasize his justice over his love, we miss the whole point of the gospel. The Bible says, John 3 16, for God so loved the world. Everywhere this talks about in the scriptures is an act of love. It's not an act of vengeance. It's not an act of disgust toward us because we were so bad that he just had to kill somebody to appease his wrath. It wasn't like that. Somehow, and you you can let the theologians figure this out. But somehow, in an act of love, God allowed all the evil that was present in that world then and is still present in the world now to come together into Jesus. And he carried it to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus judged the sin. God judged the sin in Jesus. Jesus took it to the grave, broke its power 
over you. He didn't have to do it for him. He broke the power of that evil over you and came back to life, rose again, so that you can be free of that. He carried it for us. It was an act of compassion. It was an act of love. It was not an act of disgust toward us or hatred over sin. He hated sin because it was destroying us and because it came between us. And he said, how am I going to get rid of this so that I can come and have them back connected to me? And he said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to let my son, strategically planned, absorb it into his person, into his body, and carry it on the cross where I can judge it once and for all. And set everyone free. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him, that's our part, believes in him, will not perish. They have eternal life. In fact, the gift of Jesus to the world and to the church, actually to the church, uh, is not just on the cross. That he's ever present with us now. In Ephesians, there's a long prayer that Paul prayed, and I'm not going to go over it now. But it, it ends up with saying that Jesus, God, put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, which fills all in all. The gift of Jesus to the church was an act of compassion. Now, I want to just look at this. I want to go back to where I opened up with with a. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. I didn't actually listen to the Vernon McGee sermon after that. But uh, I, I want to look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, starting with chapters, uh, or verse 4 through 7. And what I want to do is look at it a little different, because most of the time when we read it, we say, this is how love is. Love is patient, love is kind, and so this is how you should act. But what I want to do is I want to explore it, but... From a different perspective, I want to see this as how God acts toward us. Because God is love. So when it says love is patient, it's another word for patience, long-suffering. Anybody in your world try your patience ever? No? No, y'all are perfect. Nobody ever gets on your nerves. Ever. See, God is patient. Do you ever feel like you must get on his nerves? Well, it's because you're thinking about him like you think about yourself, right? But you don't get on his nerves. He's patient. Love is kind. Listen to this. This one, as I was thinking about the kindness of God. You know, the Bible says the kindness of God draws us to repentance, right? But this, this thought came to me. He's not just kind as a disposition. It's an aggressive kindness. Do you remember when King David was looking for somebody in the house of Jonathan that he could show kindness to because he loved his father? He is actually looking, he's actively looking for somebody he can show his kindness to. He is aggressive in his kindness. Hey, I, am, I am so happy to be the recipient of that kind of kindness. Are you? Love isn't jealous. Okay, I know we sing the song, he is jealous for me, right? But we're not talking about, he, he's jealous for us because he wants us. But this is the kind of jealousy where you would envy somebody because they get something right okay if you have kids you know this because at times they would rather have the other one not have the toy and none of them have the toy rather than one of them have the toy does that make sense you know i know that's probably bad english i've actually read things like this over the years where they studied people who had didn't have money 
And they said people were actually happy when people who had something lost it rather than trying to share it. It's like if, if they, they felt better about themselves when somebody had something lost it. That's a human kind of envy and jealousy. And that's not God. Because where do all blessings come from? God. Do you think if he's providing the blessings, he's going to be envious of you having something? No. No. He's not jealous. So God is patient. God is kind. He's not jealous. Listen to this one. He does not brag and he's not arrogant. But love is confident. Right? Confidence is not the same as arrogance. But he's not bragging and he's not arrogant. Listen to the next one. He does not act unbecomingly. That means you can take him places and you won't embarrass you. <laughs> have, you have you ever, you know, had somebody who embarrassed you when you're out there with them? <laughs> I've been with people who thought they were representing God who even embarrassed me too. But God's not looking to embarrass you. You, you. you can take him with you wherever you go. It'll be okay. You might embarrass yourself. I don't know. But you know what? Even if you embarrass yourself because you're following him and it's real, uh, you won't have to worry about being embarrassed. That person might be like... You know, it was a little weird, but there's something I like about that. You can trust God. He's not trying to embarrass you. Love does not seek its own. Okay? If love is not seeking its own, what's it seeking? It's seeking somebody else's. He's not seeking his own good. He's seeking your good. Like I said before, he didn't have to die for himself. He didn't have to defeat sin for himself. Sin couldn't touch him. He did it for us. He's thinking about us. It is not provoked. I like this one. Love is not provoked. That means love has no buttons. Does anybody have buttons? Okay, if I talk to your family and people who are close to you, I would know if you had buttons or not, because those are the people who know your buttons, right? right? Rin Kim knows my buttons. Y'all might not know my buttons, but she knows the things that she can do to get me to fly off the handle. But God doesn't have buttons. You're not going to hit something the wrong way and all of a sudden he's going to be like, that's it! I'm done with you. No, love has no buttons. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. One of the other translations says, um, it doesn't keep track of wrongs. I like that, because how many times have you gone back to God? Like, God, I'm going to repent for this again for like the 490th time. And he looks at you like, Really? Really, you're going to repent? Because I don't have any record that you've done this before. You did that, and it seems so unlike you because I don't see anywhere before that you've actually done this because I don't keep record of that stuff. He just receives you back in. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not take into account the wrongs suffered. Listen to this one. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And the very next phrase in the first part of the next verse says, love never fails. So how is this love of God? Vernon McGee's talked about uh, agapeo being love that is not seated in the emotion, but in the will. And um, I was just trying to, yeah. what makes this love of God, this agape love, on a love on a higher plane? 
What does it mean not to be in the emotion, but in the will? So regardless of the words we use to describe it and are trying to define it, God's love is actually rooted in himself. It's rooted in the spirit. It affects the will. It affects the emotions. It cannot not affect the emotion. I think you can see that. When it talks about the bowels of compassion, you're being moved with compassion. It, it, it affects the emotions. It affects that, but it's not rooted in the emotions. It's rooted in God. It's rooted in the spirit. And here's the thing. As humans, we have the ability to talk to ourselves. In the psalm, it says, there's, there are verses that say things like this. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Why so downcast, O my soul? Who am I talking to? My soul. Who's talking? Um, my spirit? My mind? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure, but we have the ability to analyze ourselves. Why so that? Another one, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Who am I talking to? I'm talking to my soul and all that is within me. And I'm telling myself, soul, you're going to bless his holy name. And I think this is where the, the gritted teeth come in. <laughs> because sometimes my teeth aren't gritted at you because I'm trying to love you, you or ugly, you mean thing. My teeth are gritted because I'm talking to myself. I'm saying, no, the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart. And I can yield to that love of God, and I can let it flow. I can let it out. Romans 5, 5 says this, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We can yield to the Spirit, and we can love with the same love that God loves because that is the love that has been poured into our hearts that will spring out of our hearts if we will yield to Him. This is the love that motivates us to action. This is the love that creates that inner yearning. John 13, 35, it says this, that by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is how identified God is with love because he is love. It is his nature. It is his essence. If you're not living in that same kind of love, you have to ask the question, do I know him? Have I met him? So back to our first verse. If you see your brother in need, and if you're able to hold that love in and not have compassion for him, it says, how is the love of God in you? It's not about loving that principle, and it's not an act. It's an act of your will to yield to it, but it's not a product of your will. Love is not a product of your will. Agape love is love of God that you receive into you through the Spirit, you can yield to it by an act of your will. But it is not a product of your will. It does not come from your just wanting to. I'm going to love you on purpose. No. What I'm going to do is I'm going to let the love of God that He's placed in me, that He has used when He forgave me, that He exercised when He sent Jesus to carry all this out of me. That's the love that's in me, and I'm going to yield to that. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to help you. That's the love of God. That is the love of the highest kind. And you might have to grit your teeth, I don't know, to yield to it. But it's not because we're gritting our teeth toward one another. It's we're yielding ourselves to God and we're putting our flesh under. Listen to this. I'm going to close with this passage. 
1 John 4, starting with verse 7. You know it. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you don't love, you don't know God, because God, you follow the logic? If you don't love, you don't know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God, of God was manifested in us, that God, okay, remember what I said? The cross was an act of love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your love and I thank you that you have demonstrated your love and your kindness and your compassion in Jesus Christ. I thank you that I thank you that you saw us where we were and you knew everything about us and in that you said I can't leave them there. My heart is moved with compassion toward them. I will rescue them. That's what the Christmas story is about. That's what Jesus coming is about. A rescue operation to rescue us from the darkness and the sin and the evil that was in the world. To rescue us from the power of Satan and to bring us into your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, my prayer is for everybody here to experience this love as we go out and we're celebrating this time of year and we're thinking of these things, Lord. Keep a constant reminder on us, Lord, that we are the object of your affection. That you did it for me. It wasn't just a great story, but you did it for me because you loved me and you gave yourself for me. Lord, I receive that into my life. I receive that love into my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, bless you. Know the love of God, and we will see you next Sunday. Amen. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at emmanuelag.com. 